The following sermon audio is from The Source Church in Plainfield, Illinois. More information about The Source Church can be found at www.thesourcechurch.life. Read our scripture for this morning. We're going to be reading Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 um, through the end all the way to uh, the first verse of chapter 4. So starting in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, If you could please stand for the reading of scripture. Okay. Not that I have already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the holy word of God. Good morning. Happy New Year's Eve. As uh, Ryan said, Pastor Scott and Pastor Victor aren't here, so let's not screw this up, okay? Um, would Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the reality of your incarnation and your coming to us. And as we move away from Christmas, I pray that your coming and your identification with us would remain on our minds. I also pray that we would dwell on your second coming and your return. Let us long for that day. Our hope is fixed on that day, because on that day, injustice will be blotted out. The sin and evil in our own hearts will be forever washed clean. Death and our enemy, Satan, will be fully vanquished. We will be free in your presence forever. Let us grasp this hope and live now in light of it. Amen. So, New Year's is a time that we look ahead at the coming year and think about fresh starts. So I thought it would be fitting to then detour from our Matthew series that we just started and uh, take a look at this passage in Philippians 3 that I think will help orient us to what our priorities for the new year should be. 
What do you want your life to be about in 2024? Maybe you're a resolution maker. You have that diet and exercise plan all figured out. Katie wants us to do intermittent fasting. We'll see. Starting after today. Do you have big intentions for the new year? Well, beside what we want for ourselves, the more appropriate question that we should be asking is, what does God want our lives to be about? What would God resolve for my life to be about in 2024? And we're going to look at the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 to give us a right vision and a right priority for our life. We want God's word to guide us. So my main idea is this, that the singular pursuit of the Christian life should be the goal and prize of drawing near to Christ, of knowing Christ. The singular pursuit of the Christian life should be the goal and prize of drawing near to Christ. And to further explain that, I've got five main points uh, in an outline here uh, that we're going to draw from the text. We have Paul's singular pursuit, our required motivation, some how-to helps, a warning of errors, and then looking with brotherly love. So let's start with the first one, Paul's singular pursuit. What should the priority of our lives be as Christians? Well, starting in verse 12, and also pulling from earlier in chapter 3, we see that Paul answers this question by starting with the example of his own life. Paul's life exemplifies his own singular pursuit of knowing Christ. He says in verse 12, starting verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul says, not that I have already obtained this, he's actually pointing back to earlier in chapter 3, which we did not look at, but I'll fill you in. Um, And if you look at 3.8, he says that everything is a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Everything is a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he further explains the this in verses 10 to 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what does Paul want more than anything? Paul wants to know Christ. And further, he wants to know Christ in a transformative way. Now, in verse 12, Paul acknowledges that he's not perfect. He hasn't attained this in full yet, but he wants to press on. Paul wants to pursue the perfection of becoming like Christ, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and being transformed by the life-giving power of the resurrection. Paul has a singular pursuit of knowing Christ. 
And there's a connection to be made between knowing Christ and being changed. Paul says being perfect. To know Christ is to become like Christ. Seeking Christ and looking to him is transformative. Paul reiterates this explicitly in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, looking at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to an, of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. And so as we seek to know Christ and behold his glory, we are transformed one degree, one step at a time into the same image of Christ. That knowing and being transformed results in a life lived like Jesus and for Jesus. We grow into the same heart that Christ has and we follow his example. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said it this way, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Beholding Christ, being transformed by Christ, living like Christ. Paul's we must see that we have a singular pursuit to know Christ. And as a result, we will be transformed to live and learn to live like him. And Paul's example demonstrates that he isn't passive in his faith. Right? Rather, he exerts himself forward toward Christ. It says that he presses on. And the language for pressing on is the same idea of following after or pursuing. It's uh, the same idea as an army pursuing an enemy to overtake them. Paul chases after what he wants to obtain. And this is Paul's singular pursuit to know Christ, and he won't stop until he obtains the fullness of knowing Christ. Oh, that we would chase after God with the same spirit as Paul, single-mindedly and all in. And I want to point out something else, too, that I think should be encouraging to us, hopefully, even if it doesn't immediately seem so. I know that many of us in this church are feeling spiritually exhausted. Many are questioning why is it so hard to feel close to God. And I want to encourage you that you are not alone in this feeling. Even myself, I feel like I'm living in a bit of that valley right now. And this passage affirms that the Christian life is not easy. We see it in the language used, pressing on, straining forward. Those aren't the words of an easygoing stroll through the park. For us to feel difficulty, to experience faith struggles, is expected and normative. You are not alone. You are on the same spiritual marathon and journey of faith that all Christians must undergo. So hopefully that's encouraging. The answer is that, the, is that 
struggle, the answer to that struggle is that we press on. And that may seem burdensome, but we will see that there is more hope to come. Our second point in my outline is our required motivation. We need to understand the required motivation underlining all of this. The call to press on is not a call to earn our salvation, to work harder and earn our place before God. That is false religion, and if we succumb to that, thinking it will crush us. And we'll, we're going to talk more about that potential error later on. But we need to see this. Our motivation to press on and have that singular pursuit of knowing Christ is found in verse 12, where he says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The order here is key. We can only pursue and seek to make Christ our own because Christ has already made us his own. We can only press on out of a heart that's already been taken by Christ first. The Apostle John says the same thing in 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. God must save us first and make us his own. Talking hypothetically, have you ever seen a dead person run a race? This isn't, you know, a, a... this isn't a, a, a thing about how bad you run. I mean, an actual dead person, no. <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's, maybe. <clears throat> but he had to have a lot of help. Likewise, it's only after God has breathed life into us and made us alive and saved us that we are able to pursue him. It's only after God has transformed our hearts and our affections that we would even long to pursue him, long to pursue the highest good that we can, Jesus Christ himself. We see this clearly articulated in Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He must save us and make us alive first before we can ever journey after him. And if you're here this morning and that's not you, you're not someone who Christ has made alive, you don't know him yet, it can be. And he may be pursuing you right now to make you his own, and I pray that he is. We have to see the order here in our motivation. No amount of running or trying or pressing on apart from Christ and his spirit, working in you will save you or transform you or allow you to reach Christ. For the Christian, he has already made us alive and made us his and seated us with him in the heavenly places. So my next point, number three, is going to be looking at something a little bit more practical, some, some practical how-to aspects of the call to press on, the call to press on with singular per- pursuit. I'll jump through these and show you where in the text they're coming from. <clears throat> so first, 
we need to have a humble recognition. Do you need to grow in pursuit of Christ? Or have you already arrived? Are you already perfect? The Apostle Paul probably has a more impressive spiritual record than you. Um, He actually details a lot of that earlier in chapter 3. But in verse 12, Paul is clear that he hasn't attained the perfection of Christ's likeness yet. Paul knows that he has an opportunity to grow, and he wants to keep going. He wants more and more and more of Christ. The truth is that none of us will be done pressing on until we are finally brought into his presence in heaven, having received the final transformation of our bodies and beings in the resurrection. And until that day, we march on, being progressively sanctified. We read about this earlier in Philippians as well, in verse one, or chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that we are imperfect and on a journey toward Christ. We also see that this humility is a sign of maturity. In verse 15, Paul says, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any of you thinks otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Spiritual maturity brings a recognition that we are not perfect and need to grow. I saw this play out in an interesting way at work recently. So all the engineers in our group had to grade themselves one to five um, across a list of skills and areas of knowledge. And with a range of experience levels among people, we saw the younger engineers overscored themselves and the older engineers underscored themselves in general. Why? Well, with greater experience level, the senior engineers, they had a much wider view of just how much more there was out there that they didn't know. And with less maturity and experience, you just don't know what you don't know. So in the same way, spiritual maturity brings a recognition that I fall short of God's perfect standard. The more I understand his word, I see where I am opposed to it. I become more aware every day of my sin-bent heart and my continued need for grace and transformation. But God is faithful, and he will bring us to completion one step at a time. And so to that end, we press on. Another how-to comes from verse 13. Paul says that there is one thing that we must do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. If we are to be successful in uh, pressing on with a singular pursuit toward Christ, we must forget what lies behind. Now, does that mean we have amnesia and forget everything? It's not an excuse to like forget your anniversary or uh, anything like that. I don't even think that it's a call here to forget our sinful past, though certainly scripture elsewhere would teach us that we shouldn't be shackled with guilt 
uh, and dwell on our sin. But rather, I think in the context of Paul's point here is that we even forget our past successes. Earlier in chapter 3, he gives a rundown of his resume, and he says that it's all rubbish. Essentially, what Paul's saying here is don't rest on your laurels. Have you done great things for God in the past? Or have you had periods of radical growth and change? If so, praise God. But we can't let past progress impede continued progress. Are you stuck living in the glory days rather than pursuing Christ today? I became a Christian in college, and I was eager to know God. It was a sweet time of pursuing him and really never being let down in that pursuit, always finding God to be faithful. It was also an encouraging time of ministry and discipleship where I saw myself growing. I saw fruit and impact in others' lives. And sometimes I find myself longing for those days and frustrated at the difficulty today of pursuing God and being discipled and discipling others. Life circumstances look very different now. Access to relationships looks very different now. But if I just dwell on the past, I will only get frustrated with the present. Rather, we need to keep looking ahead, trusting that God will continue his good work in us. Jesus gave the same warning as Paul in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said, Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We must not keep looking back, rather, forget the past and strain forward. And so we praise God for past successes, but may we not be stuck there and instead move forward in his kingdom toward the goal. What does it practically mean to strain forward and press on? Hopefully, you can see that we should have a singular pursuit of Christ, but what should we do exactly? Pressing on and straining forward involves effort and exertion, but it is not an unachievable burden. Recently, um, Some people had shared about a hard season that they were in and not feeling close to Christ. And my poorly delivered response, uh, encouraging them to pursue reading the Bible more and to hear from God, probably came off as this unachievable burden. And you may be hearing strain forward as, okay, I guess I need to start better habits of reading the Bible for an hour a day or else I don't love God. That's what Brett said, Brett Llewellyn. (laughs) That is certainly not true. To press on and strain forward is going to be unique to where God has you today. It probably won't look the same for you today as it does in five years or in one year. For you right now, pressing on could look like the effort to read one verse a day. If that's you, then cling to that daily verse. Let God lead you and speak to you through that one verse. 
It could look like setting up a routine of prayer each morning or each evening. It could look like pursuing a discipleship relationship with another person. It could look like using the gifts and talents that God's given you in a new way to serve people, serve people in the name of Jesus and step out of your comfort zone. But it might just be to cling to that one verse. If so, press on, even hold on for dear life as he drags you forward. Know this, that if you're his, he's going to keep you. Verse 16 even tells us that we need to hold true to what we have attained. So that's looking back to the heart of the gospel and our required motivation. Christ has made us his own, and so we make him ours. We hold true and we cling to him. I think of the story in Genesis uh, where Jacob, the patriarch, is wrestling with God physically, actually clinging to him and saying, I will not let go until you bless me. That is pressing on and straining forward. If we return to the race or the journey metaphor, I would say that pressing on has less to do with technique and instead has everything to do with direction. Pressing on does not mean that you have to run with perfect form or perfect pace, lest you be a good Christian. No, rather, pressing on means that you have your eyes set on the goal and the prize, Christ our Savior. Pressing on means that you are so focused on the goal that your heart heart so wants the goal that you will do whatever you can to take the next step forward, even just an inch. Baby steps are allowed. May God so compel us all forward. My final how-to comes from verse 17, where he says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Are you unsure what it looks like to press on and strain forward toward Christ? Look to the examples of godly men and women. Paul himself is one example, and we can find more about Paul by reading the book of Acts and reading his letters in the New Testament. But I would broaden that beyond just Paul. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That is Paul and all the other apostles. And the Bible, the Bible now is our record of apostolic authority. And so we look to scripture first and then join in imitating anyone who lives according to biblical authority. In our moment, we have ample examples. Start with the Bible itself and be dedicated to learning it. You will never outgrow the Bible. Seek to be a student of the word. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not going to specify how that needs to happen for each of us. And maybe you're at that verse a day. And that's great. Pull every, beat, every bit of meat off the bone of that one verse. But start somewhere and be realistic. And as you read, let the text expose you. The word will cut away like a scalpel. The Holy Spirit will speak to you through the word. Do you fall short of the text? Absolutely. But we let that conviction lead us 
toward God in heartfelt repentance. We don't need to run away in our shortcomings. Why? Because Christ has already made us his own, and he promises to bring us to completion. And so reading and repenting is part of what it means to press on. We can also look to the examples of others historically. Godly men and women in history can encourage us toward greater faith as we see God's grace and goodness work in their story. I recommend reading biographies or listening to audiobooks or um, even just shorter biographical messages. Um, there's lots of examples out there. We can give recommendations. John Piper has a, gr- a series of great like sermon-length messages on various Christians throughout history that I found to be very accessible. Um, you can go to desiringgod.com and just search biographies, and there's like 30 of them that show up. But there are a lot of resources out there. Ask for a recommendation. I, I think it will be life-giving to you. But finally, we can also look to the examples of godly men and women around us today. We grow in our faith by being taught and seeing the lived-out examples of others in our context. This is, the, this is discipleship, by definition. And it's one of the very things that Jesus commissioned us to do. Discipleship requires being around others, seeing their lives, hearing from them. Life group is, of course, a great place to start. Um, But we're not limited to the life group or a formal gathering. Um, You can seek one-on-one time with someone, get together for a coffee or a drink. Um, In the book of Titus, it encourages younger women to learn from older women and younger men to learn from the example of older men. So we want to be looking to those around us. I am unapologetically always learning from those around me, gleaning whatever godliness I can. I say always, but not always, but I try to be always. One instance comes to mind, um, you know, being at a funeral visitation with Scott and just noticing how he was talking to others and providing pastoral care for them. You know, those are things I want to imitate and learn. There are other times, like at cruise nights, I try and pick up on the heart that Rob has for talking to others and sharing the gospel with them. I've learned much from Chris Ruge about care and concern for the global church in Chandra's thoughtful prayer requests bolster my faith and provide guidance on how I should pray. I don't know the exact quote, but there's a saying out there, something like this, that you become like who you spend time with. So spend time in the word, spend time with the saints of God in history and spend time with the saints in our very church. I promise that it will be an encouragement to your faith. God will use it to equip you to press on and strain forward toward Christ. We come now to our fourth point, a warning of error. After the call to imitate the good example, Paul gives a warning example of those who have gone astray in verses 18 to 19. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is, their, is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Who are these enemies of the cross that we must avoid becoming? 
what characterizes them. As I was preparing, I saw two different possibilities discussed um, in the commentaries that I had. One seems right at first reading, um, and is certainly an error described elsewhere in the Bible, um, and was the more common explanation. However, however, I found the second explanation to be more compelling given the context, but certainly both are true ideas biblically, and so I'll give you both. Um, the first is possibility is we want to avoid the error of the antinomians. The antinomians. Those, the antinomians are those who believe that God's grace frees us from needing to follow the moral law. It rejects the law in legalism. It takes the right idea of God's grace and just runs off the ledge with it and commits suicide. It's the idea that I have God's grace so I can do whatever I want. I don't have to change how I live. If you remember back to our series in Corinthians, this error was being addressed then as uh, people in the Corinthian church were celebrating sexual immorality in their midst. And that would be the more common reading of verse 19. Uh, Their God is their belly would refer to a people only concerned with pleasure and satisfaction and they're unashamed in their immorality and only care about earthly pleasure. Certainly this mentality will lead you off the path to Christ. You will not be able to press on or hold on or strain forward if you are more concerned with comfort and pleasure in what serves you right now. You will set your eyes on those goals and never see Christ again, not realizing what you've missed until it's too late. The end of this error is destruction, and I pray that you do not fall for it, lest... uh, I pray that you do not fall for it. Don't let your life in the new year chase after these false gods. The other possible reading of this verse is that these enemies of the cross are Judaizers. Judaizers, not like Judy Bratcher. She's fine. Judaizers. We read about them several places in the New Testament, including in Philippians, and that's why I think it's more compelling. The Judaizers are a group of Christians, or so-called Christians, that are pushing the false idea that non-Jewish Christians must still follow the Jewish law, especially circumcision and dietary laws. And scripture is clear that this is not the case. It's refuted um, throughout the New Testament. The explanation for this being the error in view in the passage follows, right? It says they are enemies of the cross, meaning that they see additional rule following as necessary beyond the atoning work of the cross. They think that you need the cross plus. You need the cross plus certain law keeping. Now the word translated here as belly can also be translated more generally as flesh. So with with Paul, the idea being that Paul is saying that their God is their flesh and it's opposed to the spirit of God and that their minds are set on earthly things that is man-made earthly regulations. So I, I find this to be the more compelling understanding for the passage. And I think it's an error that we're all prone 
to as we talk about pressing on and straining forward. To press on and know Christ cannot mean that we have to follow certain, a certain set of practices or certain rules. It's not a matter of checking the right boxes. So please don't hear me telling you that in 2024 and beyond, you just need to try harder, read the Bible more, serve more, give more, etc. We cannot become like the Judaizers, focusing on man-made rules. Listen instead to verses 20 to 21. Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul's saying, rather, we are a people of heaven. In Christ, that's where our citizenship lies. So what does that mean? So we need to act like it. Live like you are governed by the culture of heaven because in Christ, that is what's true of you. That's where our citizenship lies. So set your mind on your true home, your end goal in heaven with Christ. And more, rather than focus on man-made rules and earning our place, know that we are a people awaiting our Savior. Our hope is only in him to rescue us. We can press on because we know that we await a Savior who will finally, fully transform us into his image, his glorious nature. And he can and he will because all things are subject to him. He's the king of all creation. That's our hope. And finally, we come to the last point, um, which comes from chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You need to know that the exhortation to press on and have a singular pursuit of Christ is rooted in brotherly love. The other pastors and I are shepherds who care for you, and we are your brothers. And like Paul to the Philippian church, we love you. We, we see serving you as, a, as pastors as a joy to us. Your growth in Christ is what we seek we long for you to stand firm in the Lord. To see the church grow in Christ's likeness is our aim because we love you and we know that Christ is the highest good that anyone can obtain. So, brothers and sisters, tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow is a new year. More than any earthly resolutions we can make, I urge you to make 2024 and the rest of your days about one thing, a singular pursuit of Christ. The race is long, it's a lifetime, but by God's grace, he is calling us forward to press on one day, one inch at a time. And I hope that we can press on together. Let's pray.